My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastor elders here, and it is a joy to be with you guys this morning. If you'd like, feel free to open up to 1 Corinthians 7. We'll be in verses 17 through 24. If you are new or newish this morning, we're just so glad that you guys are here. Uh, Know that you're jumping into uh, the middle of a series in 1 Corinthians, and we've been having a great time. And for those of you guys who have been tracking with us, you know that it's been quite heavy for the last, I don't know, seven weeks or so as we've been going through 1 Corinthians, dealing with sexual immorality, and uh, last week dealing with conjugal rights and singleness, all of that. It was great fun. Um, This week maybe is going to be just a little bit lighter, uh, and uh, we're going to be pressing into living the life, the assigned life that God has for you. Uh, I don't know about you guys, and you're going to have to forgive me. I'm taking a cough drop here. I've got, anybody else got that kind of dumb, dry cold that's around or been running? That's not very fun. So I apologize in advance, but it's better than me hacking up along. Um, You're welcome. So living the assigned life is something we're going to be pressing in this morning, but I just some of you, if you've been around here for a while, you and you, I've tried to be forward with you. I can struggle at times to be a bit of a people pleaser. Um, and I don't know if you guys have ever tried to live somebody else's life for them or tried to live a life that you thought somebody else was trying or wanted you to live. Uh, but most of the time, that doesn't go very well. I spent a lot of my life Um, not by pressure from anybody else. My folks never tried to make me live somebody else's life, but I, early on in my life, started living my life to try and be something for other people. I tried to be what I thought other people wanted me to be. At points in my life, in my immaturity before I grew up, I, I tried to live my life in a way that I thought my parents wanted me to be. And I was, I kept for so long trying to live a life that actually got further and further disconnected from sometimes who and how God actually has wired me to be. And during those times, it's rough. It's rough. When I'm trying to live somebody else's life or the way that I feel like somebody else wants me to live, the product of that generally is fear, The product of that is a constant sense of failure. The product of that is lots of confusion. And it's interesting because I think a lot of us can do this, right? We live in a social media age. We live in the age in the world of comparison where we look at lives all around us. And oftentimes we think, man, if I could just be like that person. Or man, oh, if I could just have that house. Or oh, if I could just get to this economic breakthrough, oh, if I could just get here. We live this life of comparison where all of a sudden we are trying to live somebody else's life. And when we do that, the joy of life gets sucked out. And we get robbed for living the life that God has actually called us to live. This morning we're going to be engaging with this question of the assignment that God has given. And some of it is going to require an understanding of who we ourselves are. And some people in church, they don't like to ask questions of who am I. We don't like to ask the Zoolander questions. We don't like to wonder who am I. We don't want to do that. Oftentimes we're so focused on what we're supposed to be doing or what we are to accomplish that we don't ask the question of who we are. And the reality is that God has uniquely made you. This is not a a millennial message or like, oh, you're like, everybody's like this beautiful little snowflake. That's not what we're talking about. Not all of life revolves around you. But there is a beauty to the fact that God has uniquely and wonderfully made each and every one of us. And that matters. It matters. St. Augustine famously prayed, or Augustine, depending on who you are and how you say it, he famously prayed this over a millennia and a half ago. He said, Grant, Lord, that I may know myself 
and that I may know thee. This idea that we might know who we are, not so that uh, I can write a self-help book on how to be a better human being, but so that we can actually engage God with God in a more healthy way. <laughs> Paul has been working hard to lay a foundation for the Corinthians, to give them a strong foundation in the gospel. And here this morning, he's going to give a little bit of a break, a little bit of a breather, uh, and helping call people to make sure that they're living the life that God has assigned them. Whatever that assignment might be. And so as we get started this morning, I, do, I, I want us to, to come together. I want us to pray, and I want us to just invite the Lord to, to speak to us, to even slow us down, calm us down a little bit, and to hear what he might have for us this morning in 1 Corinthians 7. So Lord, we come to you this morning. We ask that you would teach us. God, we ask that we would hear from you. Holy Spirit, we trust you with our hearts. And we thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to go through this text specifically today with specifically these people in this room. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would use me for your glory today to help lift Jesus up, to help us together faithfully walk in what you have in store for us. <clears throat> we give you this time, ask that you be glorified in Jesus' name, amen. So we start in verse 17 as Paul takes a little bit of an unexpected turn. As we've been talking about kind of crazy, unrepentant sin, things that have been existing in the body, dealing with sexual immorality, marriage, and singleness. And here Paul shifts to this. And he says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him or her and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. The first question that comes to mind that we should kind of knock out right away is whether or not Paul is saying that when you give your life to Jesus, whatever condition you are in, you must stay that way. Married, single would be kind of the, or single would primarily be the thing that is in context here. But that's not what Paul's saying. It could look that way, but it's not at the heart of what Paul is saying here. We're going to look at a few examples in a few minutes, but before we do, I, I want us to look at the words that Paul uses to articulate his point. Your rule as a new follower of Jesus is to live the life that is assigned to you. Your job is not to live somebody else's life. It's to live the life that God has assigned you. Some of this could seem incredibly elementary. And you're like, of course, duh. Like that's, yeah, I'm not supposed to live somebody else's life. But I promise you, if you guys take 30 minutes this next week and, fit and start looking back and seeing and over the last year, how have I been living the life that God has assigned to me? Or am I trying to live the life that God has assigned to somebody else? It's going to be a lot more blurry, I would imagine, than you'd like to think. But God does not expect you to fulfill the assignment or calling that he puts on someone else's life. He expects you to fulfill your own assignment. But it's interesting. I don't know how many of us actually walk through life thinking that God has an assignment for me. A lot of us walk through life just like Today is another day. It's awesome. And there's not something horrifically wrong with that, but there might be more. Paul says, this is the rule in all of his churches. All the churches that everybody live the life that God, live the assignment that God has put on your life. Paul 
what we could see here is that your value, your worth to the kingdom, your contribution to the church, they're not measured against other people, but against your faithfulness and obedience to what's been entrusted to you. What Paul is saying is don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live, obey, believe right here. And Jesus talks about this similar idea in Matthew 25 in the parable of the talents. It'll be on the screen for us. It says this, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each other, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and, uh, and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents, and I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has <clears throat> will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay. So in this moment, Jesus is speaking to his disciples about expectation. These expectations applied to Israel, to the disciples, to anyone who was able to hear about Jesus and witness his power. There was an expectation that came with receiving the kingdom of God. That being said, there's this powerful picture in this parable that the one who was given five talents and the one who was given two talents, they're treated with near identical responses. The guy who brought back five more wasn't given more than the guy with two. The response that they got from the father was identical. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of my master. Signifying that the amount of resources that I bring into the kingdom, whether it's five or whether it's two or whether it's an additional one, it, that's not what matters. What mattered was their faithfulness. You see, the expectation is of faithfulness rather than performance or status. You don't have to be as fruitful, talented, or productive as the people around you in order to be seen as valuable by God. That's not how he works. He knows exactly who you are and how you are. He knows how he's made you. He knows every fiber of your being. God's expectations of you are that you would lead the life that the Lord has assigned to you. God's expectations of you are that you would lead the life that the Lord has assigned you. Now, how do we figure that out? This can be very challenging. I've worked with a lot of young people over the years, and I've heard the question, what's God's will for my life all, all around? And we'll get more into that in just a second, but I want to highlight what Paul's saying here and what he's identifying here. And he's saying this, the life 
that is assigned to you is related to your personhood, who you are, your physical abilities, your personality, your state of life. Paul's goal is to say that when you come to faith in Jesus, it's not your job to change your job, to change your marital status, to change your financial status, on and on. It's not that. He says to continue on in the life that you are living, but with a new purpose and new power. The joy of this passage is the simple call to steward your life faithfully. And a call out that comparison will crush you. Have you guys played the comparison game? <laughs> we play it all the time, right? How often, when you play the comparison game, how often does it lead you to fruitful engagement? When you play the comparison game, how often does it make you more thankful for Jesus? It's interesting, sometimes we play the comparison game and it actually makes us feel better about ourselves. You guys ever play that comparison game? At least I'm not like that. Except that doesn't sound very gospel-centered either. Comparison will crush you. And yet faithfulness is full of joy and fruit. But faithfulness sometimes isn't that fun. Sometimes faithfulness can seem boring. Sometimes faithfulness can seem mundane. And if we're honest, sometimes we like the comparison game better. But the comparison game will crush us. I want us to remember the, the identity markers that, that Paul has already laid out for him and Apollos Earlier on in Corinthians, he, he says, look, we are servants and we are stewards. This is part of our identity marker. These are the things that are to mark, to characterize our lives, that we are servants of the king. We serve others. We consider others better than ourselves, and we are stewards of the message of the gospel, which has been entrusted to us. When it comes to living the life assigned to you, it involves you taking that identity as a servant and as a steward and applying it specifically to the context in which you are living. Because you must understand that there are, you have assignments in your life right now. There are relationships that only you have. The job you have is not occupied by somebody else. The relationships you have with people on your baseball team are not others necessarily. They're uniquely yours. The people that you come in contact with on a regular basis, these are all assignments. And how are you acting as a servant and a steward in this space? You see, when you become a follower of Jesus, you become a participant with God in his work. Let's look at two examples that Paul gives uh, Circumcision and slavery, 1 Corinthians 7. Here we go, 18. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. So the historical context shows us that both sides of this camp, circumcised Jews and uncircumcised Gentiles, felt pressure to change their status upon coming to know Jesus. This one's a little bit confusing to me if you start thinking about what's going on. I don't know how, once the snip happens, I don't know how you unsnip. I don't know. But that's what's happening here, actually. Jews who have been circumcised are actually trying to figure out how to cover themselves back up. And then you've got Gentiles who are coming into the faith. In some regards, they're coming into the faith late. I mean, they're thinking about the historical context of 
of the way in which God has acted throughout history with the people of Israel. And they're saying, shoot, I want to be a part of that story. And so they think if I change my physical appearance, this is going to change my status. The comparison game was alive and well back then, and it was actually chipping away at the foundation of the gospel. This kind of echoes back to 1 Corinthians 1 where you hear Paul calling them out for saying, for them like going after different teachers, for I follow Paul or Apollos or Kephas. And that's what's happening. People are lining up in certain groups by whether or not they've been circumcised or not been circumcised. But they're using other people's marks. as measurements for righteousness. And Paul's saying, that's got to stop. That's got to stop. Why are you conforming to the human or worldly standards and definitions? Why are you letting the flesh have jurisdiction over the spiritual things? God knows you. He called you. He doesn't wish that you were someone else. And I don't know if we believe that, actually. Do you really believe that God doesn't wish you were somebody else? Do you really believe that God doesn't wish you were somebody else? And you might instinctively, you might be like, well, you don't know about this sin and this sin. I'm not talking about that. God has uniquely and wonderfully made you. I've got to be honest, for me personally, sometimes I wonder if God didn't make a mistake when he called me. Sometimes I feel like I'm the lucky one that squeaked in. (laughs) He doesn't wish that you were someone else or that you had somebody else's story. He's called you. What you bring to the table, your personality, the personhood that you have, it's vital. And what Paul calls indispensable according to 1 Corinthians 12. The point in this part is being Jewish or non-Jewish or being looked at as more or less spiritual isn't important. Outward religious signs aren't important. The important thing is obeying God's call and following his command. So this is where it's really, really important that we talk, uh, that we keep this in context while talking about the life of signs. Because people, when they start asking the question, what's God's will for my life, the majority of the time, they, they really want to hear that, that unique thing, that, that unique calling that maybe God has for just them, or like, oh man, God's called me to go to Laos, or God's called me in, in this area, or God's called me specifically to engage with you know, uh, single divorced moms, or to engage with blank, or whatever. We want that specific and unique call, and sometimes that, that comes. But what is done in this, in this passage, which is really, really important, is it puts us all in context with staying obedient to what Jesus has taught. You see, there may be spaces and places and people that God has assigned your way, but God's will for your life is that you obey his commands, which is a part of each and every one of our signs. God's will for your life, if we're to look to 1 Thessalonians, is, is that you be sanctified, that you abstain from sexual immorality. God's will for your life is that you rejoice always. God's will for your life is that you would join him in the process of making disciples that make disciples who obey all that Jesus has commanded. When we talk about living this unique life or this life that God has assigned to you, we must know that this is always tied to living an obedient life to Jesus. And we live in a time and a culture that we take obedience and we make it an option. It's like, uh, do I want to or do I not want to? And granted, this is why we are free. We're free actually to sin and we're actually free to not sin if we so desire. But we are called to be obedient no matter what assignment we might have. Example number two 
1 Corinthians 7, 21 through 24. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a free man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when, is, when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Stay where you were when God called your name. Were you a slave? Slavery is no roadblock to obeying and believing. Paul's not saying don't, you're not stuck and can't leave. If you have a chance at freedom, he even says go for it. Paul's simply trying to point out that under your new master, you're going to experience a marvelous freedom that you would have never dreamed of. On the other hand, if you were free when you came to know Jesus, you'll experience a de delightful enslavement to God in which you would have never dreamed. When you give your life to Jesus, as Paul's expounding this, it, you're at a point where you're a bondservant or a slave or indentured servant. Your newfound life in Christ is not to abandon your obligations. And this is really tender territory, especially with our modern-day picture of slavery, which is connected primarily with things like sex trafficking and the African slave trade. And some even have horrendously used passages like this to, be, to support slavery, which is not what's happening here. In fact, the entire book of Philemon is written in order to help encourage and urge freedom from slavery. The point is, if you come to Jesus, you have a responsibility in this world to continue on with your obligations. If you give your life to Jesus, it doesn't mean that you don't have to pay back your student debt. If you give your life to Jesus, you don't go AWOL from the military. If you give your life to Jesus, it doesn't mean that you can bail on a work contract. This is Paul's point. Paul's trying to get the Corinthians to understand that our salvation transforms us. But there's still a world that we live in that may take time for some of those conditions to change. And our job is to not feel entitled to that change instantly to be faithful to Jesus in whatever context we receive. Okay. So, it's important that we don't over-apply this passage. Right? Paul is writing to a specific church at a specific time, and there's principle that's absolutely universal. But we could potentially over-apply these passages to begin to say things that Paul's not saying. For example, the work that God is doing through Zoe in Thailand and around the world to rescue kids out of human trafficking is not negated by a passage like this. Counseling a woman or a man to seek shelter from an abusive husband is not negated by a passage like this. Encouraging an alcoholic or a drug addict to get help is not negated by this passage. The Corinthians were concerned, borderline obsessed with status. And Paul is using these examples to reinforce that the only status that matters is standing before the living God. In Christ, he has redeemed your status. He knows you. You gain no increased status in the church or with God by altering your physical status. We also need to make sure that we don't under-apply this passage. It would be a mistake to say that you should continue on in the immoral relationships in which you're a part of because of what Paul is saying here. If you're living with a boyfriend or a girlfriend and you give your life to Jesus, moving out and seeking sexual purity is absolutely something to pursue. Paul's not dealing with morality in this particular passage. He's dealing with the clamor for status in the church. I'm curious, here Paul uses the examples of circumcision, and here he uses the example of, of, of slavery. 
But what are what is the religious imposition for social status change? What is what are the things maybe in our culture, in even our church settings, that we think if you do this, you are more valuable. If you do these things, then you're more valuable to the kingdom of God. If you look like this, then you're more valuable. You're more important. These things exist in the church today still. It might look a little bit different. Thankfully, I don't think there's a circumcision battle, which is good. But there are other battles. The context of which Paul is writing into is actually primarily in the singleness versus marriage context. That's the primary thing in which Paul is highlighting. It's undergirding this whole section. Is that people who are married, it's funny, it's on both ends of the spectrum. People who are married think they're more important, and also people who are single think they're more important. It's funny because actually both sides of it. People who are married also (laughs) think they're, less valuable to the kingdom, and people who are single also think they're, so it's, it's actually unhealthy comparison all around that we're seeing, right? Because we even see, like we saw last week, married people are stopping having sex because they think it's more holy. Might as well actually start living a single life now. But there is something in us that, that thinks that we need to change things about us or even like our, our physical postures or our physical bodies or our social status in order to be more valuable to the kingdom. We're going to talk about this in the weeks to come, but if you're married and you give your life to Jesus, don't feel like you need to give get divorced, which is actually Paul's going, where we're going to go next in this, that's actually what people started doing. You don't need to get divorced to follow Jesus more fully. If you're single and you give your life to Jesus, don't feel like you've got to get married in order to follow Jesus better. So, in these next couple of verses, we're going to begin to wind down. But coming out of a passage like this, there's a few things that I think are, it's important for us to grapple with. with. We're going to talk about three of them. And the first one is know who you're not. This is key in understanding your identity. 1 Corinthians 7.23, you were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. All of us, slave and free, both, we once were held hostage to sinful society. Then a huge sum is paid by Jesus with his own blood, your ransom. So please don't out of old habit slip back into being or doing what everyone else tells you. Paul's trying to get them to not be so concerned with being like something or someone else. Don't be more Jewish. Don't be less Jewish. Be more like Jesus. God knew what he was getting into when he called you. Know that you are not a bond servant to men. Know that you are not enslaved to this world. That is not your identity any longer. It's important to know who you're not. I love that we get a good example of this actually with uh, John the Baptist. John the Baptist or John the Baptizer knows who he's not. It's interesting. People come to him. There's actually three no's of who he's not before you hear what he is. In John 1, 19 through 23, And in this testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. They said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. For John, there were a number of no's before there was a yes, or who who are you? 
No, I'm not the Christ. No, I'm not Elijah. No, I'm not the prophet. But yes, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. See, John was laser focused on who he was and didn't try to be something or someone else. And I think, granted, John is incredibly unique, right? John actually is the only other person outside of Jesus who's, that we know of that's filled with the Spirit from actually from birth. We actually see that Spirit comes upon his mom while he's in utero. Uh, and so he, John has got a unique life where he's devoted his life to Yahweh and he's been following his ways and he's attuned to what God has for him. He knows who he is. He has been a faithful steward for years. He's in his 30s at this point. And as he's been faithfully obeying what God has called him to and, and who has God called him to be, as he's been faithful to what scripture and the commands of God are, and guess what? That, that unique assignment that was John's and nobody else's became really, really clear. You see, so many of us want the unique assignment without the faithfulness or obedience. We want the lightning bolt from heaven Saying, hey, spend the rest of your 35 years specifically talking to these two people and nobody else. Or, hey, yes, go move to Laos. Or, yes, hey, go move to Sri Lanka. Or, yes, hey, go move to Bel Air. I don't know who gets that call. Um, but some people, we want that without the faithfulness, without the obedience. I just want you to know, if you... It's, it's so good for us to know that we have unique assignments. But if you want to grow in hearing and knowing what those unique assignments are, they are going to become more and more clear as we grow in our identity as being servants and stewards of the gospel. So we've got to know what we're not. The second thing we need to do is we need to know who you are. Verse 22, for he was called in the Lord as a bondservant. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called as a bondservant of Christ. What defines you as a believer is not your family or your job or your status, but your identity in Christ. You are a child of the king. You are his. Paul says it doesn't matter what condition of your life. You belong to Jesus. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that you are a new creation. That you have been given a new identity. We're no longer defined by what has happened in our past. Whether it was done to us or by us. Instead we are a people who get to cling and grab a hold of the identity in which God has given us through Jesus. You guys, as a result of the fall, and we've talked about this in the last few weeks in Genesis 3, sh this is where shame enters the world. And shame is the belief and internalization of a lie about our identity. And shame still exists today, loud and clear, as it continues to try and muddle our identity in Jesus. Shame can make it very difficult for us to believe what our true identity is. And this is why it's so important that we as a, a family of God together, we actually need to help one another in this. I don't know about you guys, I struggle with believing what God says about who I am. And there's a lot of times where I actually need the help of those around me to speak the truth of God over me because there's times where I don't have the power and I'm too overwhelmed with shame to speak it over myself. This is where community groups and engaging in real relationships are so valuable. You have a place where people can speak the truth of our identity in Jesus. But what I want to do is I actually want to pull this up on screen real quick. I think we have it. Maybe not. A list. Do we have this? If we don't, I'll read it over you. Yes, beautiful. This is a non-exhaustive list of identity statements from the Bible about who we are in Christ. I am the salt and light of the earth. I've been given a spirit of power, love, and self-control. 
I think we always like to say they want a spirit of power and love and we leave off the self-control one because we don't want to be obedient. We just want the power and the love. We don't self-control, like, yes, the ability to say no when you don't want to. I can find grace and mercy in time of need. I'm hidden with Christ in God, meaning that when I am seen by God, he sees me and he sees Jesus covering me. I'm complete in Christ. I've been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am a citizen of heaven. I can be confident that God will complete the good work he started in me. I may approach God with freedom and confidence. I am God's workmanship. I have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit, through what Jesus accomplished on the cross. I am adopted. As God's child, and John, we also say, to those who receive him, he gives the right to become children of God. We are, I am a child of God. I am a saint. I am a minister of reconciliation for God. I am a new creation. I've been established, anointed, and sealed by God. I'm a member of Christ's body. I've been bought at a price. I'm not my own. I belong to God. I am God's temple. I am God's co-worker. I cannot be separated from the love of God. You say, I am fused to the love of God, if you want to say the opposite of that. I've been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. I am Christ's friend. We need these reminders of what our identity is. We need them. This world will chip away at those things. Or the world will give you a false sense of your identity that's not actually rooted and anchored in Scripture. The heart of the Father is for each of us as children to come to know and believe who we are and who we have been made to be. Know our gifts, passions, limitations, hopes, dreams, and callings. And this is, again, where we really need community around us, where we need good, honest relationships around us who can help speak these truths over us. The third, and this is the most important thing about you, Right here, 1 Corinthians 7.24. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. What's the most important thing about you? Wherever you are, there God is. God is with you. Jesus in Matthew 28 says, I'm with you to the end of the age. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, he lives in you. Where you are is where God has called you to be. And God is there. It doesn't mean that life doesn't change or can't change. But so oftentimes we're looking down the road to see what God might be bringing in front of us. And and really what the invitation is in passages like this is is don't wait for the future. Live actively and presently in the space that you're at. Because right now where you're at here is where God has called you. And he's got assignments for you here and now. You don't have to wait to move to Montana or to Laos or to wherever in order to start living the assigned life that God has for you. We're talking with Scott and Alexis as they were preparing to engage in being missionaries in another country. And as they're being interviewed by pioneers, all of the things that they're asking, that pioneer starts asking them is they start asking, what type of life are you living now? Are you engaging in loving the local church now? Are you engaging in helping make disciples here and now? Are you engaging in helping share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus now? And the reason they ask all of those questions is because the majority of people that come to them at Pioneers, they say, well, I'm waiting 
until I get to Timbuktu to start making disciples. Or I'm waiting until the environment shifts and I, and I can start doing it there. And they say, look, if you're not doing it at home, if you're not living the assigned life here, what makes you think you can live the assigned life there? Remember, the grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. And right now, this is where you are. What does it look like? For you and I to join God in living the assigned life now. Don't pass up what God is doing in the present because you're holding out for something better in the future. If you do that, you're constantly going to be running from thing to thing, from thing to thing, and you're going to feel so disconnected and discontent. What does it look like for you to be faithful and obedient now? Not 10 years from now. Granted, it takes a process like to grow in our obedience and grow in our faithfulness. It's a process for sure. But what does it look like to start growing in that now? Not waiting. <coughs> okay. Worship team, why don't you guys come on up? As you hear this message this morning, I hope you feel uh, free from obligation to perform for those around you and compelled to run towards Jesus and righteousness in the life that He assigned you. You are not a, a fluke. In the kingdom of God, you're not like that show, The Good Place, where you're the one that snuck in and somebody's like, do they actually know? You didn't fool God. He knows who you are. And he's called you on purpose. He doesn't just know who you are. He likes who you are and who you're becoming. And he's got assignments for you. Your job isn't to compare yourself to all the people around you and be like, oh my gosh, that person's so good. Or, oh my gosh, that person's so bad. Or, oh my gosh, that person's so gifted at talking to people. Or, oh my gosh, that person knows so much. Or, oh my gosh. Your invitation from Jesus is to grow in being a servant, being a good steward. His word and his gospel. Be obedient. Sometimes we can make life so complicated. And oftentimes the more complicated life becomes, the smaller our joy becomes. And just know that the Lord is inviting you into a life that is full of joy and peace and wholeness. But there are things in your life that he's inviting you to drop. There's things in your life and comparisons and, and things in your life that are actually holding you back from living the assigned life that God has for you. And you guys probably actually know what some of those are. Maybe you don't. A lot of you know what some of those things are. My invitation for you, if you hear God's voice this morning and he's inviting you to step into living the assigned life that he's called you into, ask him, God, what are the things that you're wanting me to drop? I don't know what they are for you. Outside of what's clear in this passage is comparison game, I know the Lord is asking us to drop comparison. I know that comparison, it is the thief of joy. He's asking us to drop that. This isn't about a comparison game. We are a part of a team. We are a part of, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, the body of Christ who works together to show this world who and what God is like. I don't know for you if this morning you have really, really struggled with who and what your identity is, who you are in Jesus. And maybe I hope the Lord is just reminding you of his love for you and this new identity that he's given you. That as you go through this life, you are not on your own. God is with you. He remains with you. So for us, I hope that 
we can respond this morning just with the light. One, that God, we didn't fool God in his calling, in his calling of us. Two, that he has assignments, that he has uniquely wired us, and he's got assignments uniquely for me and for us that we get to walk into and we get to step into them. And, and whether or not I bring back five talents or four talents or however many talents, all that he's inviting me to do is be faithful in the space that he's called me to be. So I just hope you receive a freedom this morning. Not a condemnation, not a pressure, a freedom to step in and be faithful where you're at. And to know that the Lord rejoices. And watch, as you're more and more faithful, as you grow in your obedience, watch, you're going to start being able to hear the voice of God. You're going to hear some of those unique assignments that come down. And I'm excited to see the Lord continue to do that with us as, as we draw nearer and nearer to him. And so now we're going to respond. We're going to respond through singing of our incredible King Jesus, the one uh, who has died on the cross, who has made us well. We're going to sing to him. We're also going to take communion. We're going to take the bread and we're going to dip it in the juice. And we're going to celebrate the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. We invite you to take that with some around you this morning. And I just invite you to take that, being reminded of the assignments that are on you, the identity that you have, and the call to faithfulness and obedience. We also respond through giving, which is part of our worship. And then finally, if you would like to receive prayer, these rugs exist over here on the sides to receive prayer. Uh, or you can also just lean to the person next to you and say, hey, would you pray for me? But I'm going to pray for us as we respond right now. Lord, we thank you for who you are and what you're doing. We ask that you would continue to shape us as we respond this morning. Lord, thanks for texts like this where we just get to be reminded of some, some simple but beautiful truths. That we don't have to live a life in comparison. I don't have to look like Matt. Others don't have to look like me. I don't have to look like Paul. But God, you've uniquely called me to follow after Jesus. And so God, we, we ask that you would just strip away comparison. And God, that you would help us cling tightly to Jesus. Where there's complete freedom and grace. We ask that you continue to... Move as we respond now. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.